Thank you, ladies, for that special music. Hey, holy, 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 God is holy, and he has called you and I, as believers, to, to live holy as well. And that brings us to Judges chapter 13. So take your Bibles, go with me to Judges 13. As we begin now, a couple of Sunday messages on the judge, the final judge out of 12. It is the Judge Samson. Shimshon in the Hebrew, Shimshon. I like Samson better, it's easier. Do you know what the name Samson means? All right, let me tell you. In the book, in, in, in Hebrew, uh, the root of Samson is Shemesh. Shemesh means sun. Sun, like the sun in the sky. And so Shimshon means sunny boy, little sunny boy. Literally, though, sun, sun. The sun, sun. Which I think is a kind of a, you know, what, the, who did, what did the Canaanites worship? They worshiped Shemesh. They worshiped the God of the sun. So maybe even naming him Shimshon was kind of like a Canaanite name. So God raises up a judge to rescue his people who has a name of a Canaanite pagan god. Wow. Um, you want to know what I think is neat about the story of Samson? God, he actually grows a judge from before birth. Up until now, when God needs a rescuer, he picks a, a somebody who, like a man or a woman who's an adult, and, and he, he raises them up and uses them. But now, Israel desperately needs help. They, are, they have been under oppression for 40 years. This is now a huge length of time to be under the enemy. Literally, the Philistines are ruling over them every day, every night for 40 years. That would be awful. That would be terrible to live that way. The Philistines taxed them, took their things, made their children slaves, had them worship their gods, uh, the, the Philistine gods, for 40 years, year after year. And God says, I'm going to rescue my people, but I'm not going to do it right away. I'm going to do the impossible and raise up a little boy. He's going to grow to be a young man, and then he'll begin to deliver the, you from the Philistines. What a story. Let's pray. Father, as we now go to the Word of God, I pray that you would help us understand the birth of Samson, the significance of it, and how this played a, par- a large part in Samson's life. Thank you, Father, for rescuing your people over and over and over again. Thank you for the teaching of Judges chapter 13. Help us to understand that Jesus Christ is the perfect judge. He's the one without any flaws. He is perfect in every way, and he is the ultimate rescuer. He has saved us from our sin, which means for those who believe in Jesus, they will never die. They will never die and be thrown into a lake of fire. Instead, they will be brought to heaven to live in a perfect environment forever. And we just say, praise be to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the book of Judges and what we've learned about your people and your rescuers. Teach us tonight, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I have always thought that Samson was like totally different from all the others. No, you know what, what is he known for? What's Samson known for? Strength. His strength. But he was not like an Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he had gigantic ripped muscles, and he walked around like this, and he could do all of this. No, I don't think so at all. Because Delilah, at the end of the story, what does Delilah say over and over and over? Where does your strength come from? Where does your strength come from? 
Well, if he had big muscles, duh, just it's the big muscles, woman. But it's it's not. I think he looked like me, just scrawny and unathletic, and maybe not quite like me. But um, but but God, here's what God would do: the Spirit of God would come upon this man, and all of a sudden he would have supernatural strength. So when a lion, a lion came out of the road, out upon him, he was able to pick up that lion and rip it apart like it was a little, little lamb. Not that I've ever ripped a little lamb apart, but a lion was that easy for him. And when he was locked in Gaza, and they were going to try to put an end to him, he could take the gates of Gaza, rip them off the front of the city. Now, by the way, the gates would be not just the doors, but the gates would be all the iron and all the metal that held the whole thing together, he literally just picked it up and he carried it over 25 miles uphill. Like, he didn't just like, tip it over, he lifted it and carried it for, for over 25 miles, literally up straight up a hill. I mean, that's the Spirit of God. But even with all of those really miraculous things, Samson is deeply, deeply, deeply flawed. He's got major problems in his heart. And God chooses to still use a Samson, even with his continual disobedience, his willful disobedience. So take your Bibles. You're in Judges 13 with me. Uh, Judges 13. Now, Samson, by the way, the story... You, have you been with me for the rest of these, the earlier judges? Just check this out. This is a cool thought, all right? I just love thoughts like this. All of the judges, see, God has a way of working. He, God is not just random. He has a way of working. So what God has done is he has taken key things out of all the judges and thrown them in the story of Gideon providentially. Check this out. Gideon, remember, I mean, Samson. He put him in the story of Samson. Let's talk Gideon. Gideon had how many men in the army? 300. And they had torches, right? So God uses Samson with 300 foxes with torches. Right? Isn't that cool? Okay, remember the story of Deborah and Barak? Sisera, the enemy general, he, he, he leaves the battle scene. And the battle is over and he has lost. He has lost. He, he has lost the battle he is going away. He walks into the woods. He goes to Yael's tent. She gives warm milk and a blanket. And then what does Yael do? She drives a tent peg into his skull and pins him to the ground. This woman has great strength to kill a general like that. The word tent peg in chapter 4 is the same word used with Delilah. Remember when Delilah had Samson on her lap and he had long hair? She took a batten of a weaver's loom which is the same word tent peg, and thrust it through his hair. She didn't pierce his skull, but same word. Interesting. Do you know what, do you know what uh, Deborah means? Deborah means bee, bees, like honeybees. And when Samson rips open the lion and it dies, what forms inside? Uh, a hive of bees making honey. So like, literally everything that, everything that, by the way, Othniel, the first judge, who plays a big role in Othniel, the first judge? His wife. Who plays a huge role in Samson's life? His wife. I mean, there's just... I could take you parallel after parallel. This word, this Bible, is divine. God put it together. 
God has orchestrated the events of history so Jesus Christ could come to save us. We have, we have got to have such a respect and love for the Bible, for God's word. It is phenomenal. And the deeper and the more you study it, the more you fall in love with Jesus. It's like, you'll see that at the end of the story. The, the, greater you, the more time you spend, the more love for Christ you get. It's, it is the best. So let's go right into chapter 13 now. Again, the Bible says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. What does the Lord do? The Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So Israel should have worshipped the one true God of heaven, the creator of all things. Instead, they turned their attention to the gods of this world. And God says, I'm not happy. You are going to have the Philistines on your backs for 40 years. Bad, bad time. This is a long time. Look at verse 2. Now, this is how I would not tell the story, but this is what the Bible says, so let's do it. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. Wait a minute. What's missing in the text? Here's what's missing. In all other cases, after oppression by the enemy, what does Israel do? They cry out to God. Even if it's a false cry, they, they cry out to God. Do you know what's not found in the text? After 40 years of oppression, Israel's gotten used to it. They don't even cry out for help. They're so used to the pain and the oppression of the, of the enemy, they don't even say, God, help us. And yet God cares about his people, and he says, I will help you even though you have not cried out to me. Is that grace or what? That is grace upon grace. God needs to preserve this nation. Why does he need to keep Israel? He made a promise to Abraham, Israel will always exist, and out of Israel will come the Messiah, Jesus. And if Israel gets, gets disintegrated or, or taken apart, then God's promise fails. God has to save Israel, even if they don't want it. He's going to step in and, by his grace, rescue them. Isn't it sad that they would not call out to God? <clears throat> I know people who have loved the Lord and, and served the Lord, and they become so hardened and bittered that they tell me they, can, they can't even pray. I think, oh, that's sad. It is sad not to be able to talk to the God who made everything out of nothing. What a tragedy. And that's where Israel is. Israel is so hard-hearted, they don't even care about getting rescued at this point. That's how far down they have fallen. Well, here's what God does. He raises up a man named Manoah, And get this, his wife was barren, verse 2. They had no children. His wife is sterile. She cannot have a baby. She cannot have a child. It is impossible, everybody. Now listen, if I was God, I would not pick this woman. It is impossible for her to have a baby, and yet God is saying to this family, I am going to supernaturally, miraculously give you a baby, and this baby is going to deliver the nation. Why would God choose a barren woman? so that nobody else gets the glory. Who gets the glory for the rescue? Hey, not Manoah and not his wife. They can't have children. The one who gets the glory is God. God is working behind all of these scenes. Verse 3. Here's how, here's how this barren couple find out they can have a baby. And the angel of the Lord appeared to, a wom- to the woman and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren and have borne no children. <laughs> okay. So this angel comes from heaven... We find out later, it's Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus. Before he came in Bethlehem as a baby, he shows up at different times in the Old Testament. Hey, listen, everybody, do you see this? The same Jesus who died on a cross 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem and paid for our sins shows up to this woman who doesn't have a name. We don't know her name. 
She is grieved because she can't have a baby. He shows up and he says, Hey, woman, you're barren and you can't have a child. Um, hey, thank you. Uh, now I feel that's done better. Right? I mean, what a thing to say. But that's what the Lord does. Gets her attention. And then he says this, But you shall conceive and bear a son. Wow. This woman's going to have a baby after waiting all these years. It almost sounds like a parallel to who? Jesus, right? Jesus, an angel shows up in Nazareth to a young girl named Mary, who is a virgin. There's no way she can have a baby because she's a virgin. This angel shows up and says, Mary, you shall give birth to a son, but not just any son. You're going to give birth to God. God is going to come in human flesh and you will carry him and and deliver him. Well, Mary's like, "Uh, excuse me, angel, but I don't know a man. I'm, I'm pure. And the angel said, don't worry, God will overshadow, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you shall bring forth a son, the Holy Son of God. Wow. See, this is a great parallel to Jesus. Now look at verse 4. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. You guys, this is huge. This has never happened before. But way back in the book of Numbers, God said this. If you want to live in a special way, okay, it was voluntary. In, in, in the Old Testament, it was voluntary to be a Nazarite. Here's what you would do. You would say, God, I love you very much. I love you so much that I am willing to do three things. I will never touch a grape or eat grape juice or drink wine. Never. Uh, for, during my vow. I will never get my hair cut. Easier for some than others, but, but you would never get your hair cut. Ever. During the vow. Your vow could be one year, two years, three years, ten years. It was up to you. And you would never touch anything that was dead. Why? Not because it was something super spiritual, but basically you were saying to the Lord, Lord, I care about you so much that I'm going to separate me. I'm going to separate myself from these things so I can be separated unto you for greater things. All right? That was the idea. It was, I'm going to, I'm going to abstain from doing these things so I can show greater devotion to you in these things, basically. And it was voluntary, and you would do, only do it for a certain amount of time. You do it for a year, two years, five years, and then after your wife said, get a haircut, you would say, okay, get my haircut type of thing. All right? This is different. The angel says to this woman, you have to do the same thing. You have to, you have to take the same vow as the Nazarite. You're, it's not voluntary. You're required. And as for that, it's lifelong. It's going to not just be a few months or years. It's lifelong. And the baby that you're going to have, the baby boy in your womb, is going to have the same vow his whole life. Really, it was a vow of being separated from one thing to be separated unto another. It's called holiness. God said, I want you to be holy, and you're going to demonstrate your holiness this way. All right. So from now, from this very moment, Manoah's wife can have, can't even be around grapes, can't be around dead things, and... As for the baby, he's never going to be able to get his hair cut from the day he, he's born. All right. Let's keep going and see what the Word of God says. 
he, uh, at the end of the verse says, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. He won't do the whole thing. He won't be able to get all the Philistines gone, but he will begin the deliverance. So verse uh, 6. So the woman came and told her husband, like any, any woman would, saying, a man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did, I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, this angel said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. Okay, makes sense, doesn't it? So Manoah hears the news of this angel that he's going to have a baby boy for the first time ever. What's his new parents? What are you thinking? Uh, How do you raise a baby? Uh, What do you do? What's the rule for his life? Like, how do I raise... Hey, you guys, do you know what Noah wants? He wants a list of rules. He wants, like, you do this, 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 do these ten things, and you got parenting all made. Uh, But does that work, parents? You got a list of ten things, you do these, you got the perfect child? No. Because a list will never make you godly or holy. A list will never do that. So Manoah wants a list... And God is not going to give it to him. Let's see what God does. Verse 9. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. Nice when we pray to God that he hears every noun and verb. Isn't, isn't it great when we pray on Wednesday nights? The God of heaven hears everything we ever say and pray. So God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again. So notice, he didn't go to Manoah, but he went to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But no, Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. All right, so Manoah and his wife are running. They're going after to find the angel. And when he came to the angel, verse 11, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? By the way, he doesn't know the angel is actually God. He just thinks it's a man, some prophet or something. And so the man said, I am. Verse 12, Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life in his work? Again, he wants a list of do's and don'ts because he thinks that's what he needs to raise this boy properly. Verse 13, So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Now notice, he doesn't give any new information. It's the same old information. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Hey, no new information. This has got to be hard on Manoah. Manoah wants to know, how do I raise the boy just perfectly? And the angel says, I'm not telling you that. I am going to tell you to do these things For the Nazarite vow. Let's continue. Verse 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, "Uh, Please let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. It was always hospitable. By the way, you come to our house, we'll feed you. We'll feed you something. You know, you come to our house, we'll give you you something to eat. Um, It's just, that's what we do. People are hospitable. And so so Manoah's like, Okay, I got to get this guy to hang around. I don't want him to walk away. So let's have him stick around for dinner, and we'll talk over dinner, and he'll tell me a list of things to do for my boy. So the angel, verse 16, said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. 
For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord, meaning the pre-incarnate Jesus, God himself. Hey, by the way, can a quick question for you. If right now you were to be unfiltered in the presence of God, what would happen to you? Unfiltered presence of God? You would burn up. You'd be fried to a crisp. God is so holy, he is so awesome, that if you were to stand before him unaided with the help of Jesus, you would fry, you would burn up instantly. You would explode and your skin would melt and you'd be gone in a blink. We need Jesus. He is, our, he is our mediator. He stands between us and God because Jesus is God, but he's also man. So now we can approach God for the first time. But listen, if you were to approach God, it is not a cozy, fuzzy feeling. It's not like, hey, God, how you doing? We're best friends. It is, he is holy and huge and majestic. And so Manoah is going to get an eye opening because right now he doesn't know he's talking to God. Let's continue. Verse 17. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Hey, what is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. See, the, the angel wouldn't eat the food. So now what's Manoah doing? He's like trying to get to this guy. Okay, you won't eat my food. Tell me your name. Let's start there. First things first. What's your name, sir? Uh, Look at verse 18. I love it. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now in the Hebrew, that word wonderful, pili, it is like awesome. It is like... The other way it's used in the Old Testament is that God's knowledge is so huge, you can't even begin to comprehend it. Something so high above you. So even the angel won't even tell his name. He says, you can't hear my name. Listen, you guys, we use names like what? Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. If we were to really get the fullness of God in one name, we couldn't handle it. We would be absolutely terror. We would be absolutely shaking and trembling. That's how awesome God is. Like, okay, I'm different than a grasshopper, right? I'm taller, and I have a little bit more intellect than a grasshopper. So here's a a grasshopper. Here's me in intellect, right? Now here's me. Where is God in in his awesomeness? He is infinitely higher. He's farther than the the farthest galaxy, the end of the universe. He is farther than that when you compare me to him. You, You agree? Yes. So just so like if you're going to be in front of God, it's just not we just we bring God down to our level to make him our best friend. He is. He is my best friend, but he's God. So so here's what happens. Verse 19. So Manoah took the young goat. See the the, the angel didn't give the name. Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, offered it upon the rock to the Lord. Hey, just like Gideon did, another compare another similarity. And listen, the angel did a wondrous thing, another word wondrous. While Manoah and his wife looked on, it happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. All right, get it. Can you guys picture this? Picture a fire here, all right? You got a fire, you got a young goat, you like cut the young goat, gut it, and then you put the body of the young goat on the wood and you start the fire and it's hot. 
I mean, I, I, I love campfires. And sometimes we have big campfires at our house and you've got to take like two steps back or your lawn chair begins to smoke. Um, I love fires. So the angel is, he's like over here, the fire's here. The angel walks into the fire. I mean, Manoah's got to be like, uh, sir, don't do that. Uh, don't do that. And then he's standing in the fire and all of a sudden he shoots up to heaven like a rocket. Who is it? It's God. It's Jesus. It's God. And so Manoah finally understands that God, that he's been talking to God. Here's how God's word says it. Um, Continuing on in that same verse, verse 20. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces. That's a typical reaction to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew, see now he has understanding, that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, I love this woman. She's, got, she's so reasonable. She's, she's like my wife. She's so rational. Here's what the wife said. If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the, the baby's going to come, and the baby's going to be a holy baby to live a separate life, so that he could glorify God. So it says, So the woman bore a son and called his name Shimshon, or Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanah, Dan, between Zorah and Estaol. Wow. Okay. Is that incredible, everybody? Um, let's talk about this for the last seven minutes. You guys, listen to this. Manoah wanted a list. He wanted a list of do's and don'ts. Do this, do this, do this. Do the 30-day whole grain, then do the keto diet. And then, I mean, he wanted a whole list of do's and don'ts. And God said what? God said, that is not what I want you to do. Hey, listen, everybody. God does not give me the exact direction for every twist and turn in my life. For every decision and every choice, God does not give me the, the absolute answer. Like, all right? He doesn't. Because that was never his design. He, there's no way that he can give me a list of every do and don't in the world. What does he do? He gives me knowledge of him. He gives me principles and knowledge of him that I then apply to my life. Okay, now... We haven't had children at the small, small age. We've had teenagers, but not the small, small children. But when children are really small, what do you do? You, you do a lot of list things, right? When children are really small and they're childish, you're like, don't touch, don't put your finger in the socket. Don't eat dirt. Or, or like, mom, did I ever eat worms? I don't think so. Don't, well, I think I did, but I didn't tell you. Don't eat worms. I mean, that's something you, you would tell a child, right? You would say this, in the sauna at the cabin, don't, don't touch the sauna stove, it is hot. And then well, what do children do? They touch the sauna stove and then they begin to cry and you're like, hey, I told you, don't touch the sauna stove. Here's, you know. But, but as the child grows, what happens? You're giving less and less of those things and you know what you're doing? You're, you're hoping and you're praying that your child gets your heart, right? They begin to see your convictions your principles, what you believe, what you stand for. 
and with internal motives and the love of Christ in their heart, they begin to make decisions like you would, without the do's and the don'ts, without the list. Then they can apply wisdom to everyday life. Should I go here and do this? Hmm. Will it enslave me? Is it beneficial to me? Is it a good testimony to Christ? And that's what you want your children to do. So as your children grow, you're doing less and less, don't do this, do this, don't do this, and you're doing more of, hey, what does God's word say? And that's where the knowledge of God comes. The more that I know Christ, then the, more, the better decision-making I make. Because listen, you could give me any topic. I'm, I'm not bragging, but I'm saying, give me any topic. And I think I have spent enough time with Christ at this point in my life to be able to say, wow, without a list, without a do or don't, I think I can tell you what the heart of Christ is about this matter. You know, this is what I really believe from God's word. Here's how Christ looks at this. Here's how, uh, here's how I want to respond to this. Did it come from Jesus giving me a list? No. It came from me knowing his heart through his word. And, and now I know him better and better. And, and, and it's like, I don't, think, I don't think when I see him, it's going to be like we're strangers. I, I think I'm going to be like, yeah, I, your heart now is just I'm, I just, I'm full of your heart. Do you see the difference? So Manoah wants, hey, what's the rule for my son? And God says, no, you, don't need, you need a relationship. You need to teach your son, Samson, who I am. What kind of God am I that is long-suffering and gracious to those who rebel against me? Right? So here's the problem. I, I don't think Manoah and his wife were able to communicate all of that. I think Samson was pretty strong-willed because whatever he learned... He went the opposite direction. What were Nazarites not supposed to do? Touch grapes, right? What does he do? He goes to a Philistine vineyard. He goes to a Philistine vineyard. If God says, don't, go, don't touch grapes, why would you go to a vineyard? They're all over the place. You're stepping on them. You're touching them. You're rubbing against them. Samson, have you lost your mind? Yeah, why? He didn't catch the heart of God. He didn't catch the character of God. Right? Nazarites were not supposed to touch dead, dead things. So he rips apart a lion and lays the body there. And then he comes by the lion later and he scoops into the lion's belly. Wait a minute, the lion's dead. Should he be touching a dead carcass? No. But you know what? He really didn't care about it. He, he just really didn't care. Here's what I find tragic, you guys. I, I find tragic that a lot of Christians, a lot of people who say they believe in Jesus... They just don't have a care for holiness or God's word. They, they just they 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 don't take it seriously. When I say holiness, what do you think? Here's what most people think: they think holiness is sad, somber. You got to wear like a cloak and pray 24 hours a day. You've got to be reading your Bible 23 and a half hours a day, or you're not holy, right? That's not holiness. That's, relig- that's something weird. That's not- Jesus is holy. You agree? Yes. When you, when you read the New Testament, look at how he operates with women. Perfect holiness with women. Every, every single encounter, perfect holiness. And he, he has a full, vibrant life, and he's holy. He wants us to be holy from the inside out. 
having our heart changed, our affections changed, and our desires changed. So we don't need and we can't use a list. It's, it's just, it's awesome. It really is. Jesus does not have to give me a list of no's to know, to, for me to not do what he says not to do. I mean, the things in the Bible are pretty crystal clear, if, if, I, if that makes sense. Okay, think about this. Um, we've got to move from external rules away from that to internal motives and wisdom. Um, listen. Manoah wanted all the details of his son's upbringing. God didn't give him any details. He didn't tell him all that he was, gonna, that he was in store for. You know what? There is a veil across her future. We just don't know. I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, good or bad, in the next days to come. What, what does God want us to do? Trust him. Trust him, right? And instead of questioning God and saying, God, why, why, why? I think if I was Samson's parents, I would have like, been like, God, why? Why did you give me this son? Man, is he rebellious. He doesn't do one thing I tell him. He's always going the wrong direction. And I think the question is not why, 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 but who? Who are you, God? So I can, communicate, so I can know your character and communicate that to others. Um, God does not explain the future to us. He expects us and desires for us to trust him. Here's a third, a third point. In this whole text with Israel, God is not passive. He is active. He is actively working behind the scene, but we would say that he's not really working, but he, he actually is. He's working behind the scene. He's even going to use Samson's... Listen to this, you guys. He's going to use Samson's rebellion for his purpose. Isn't that wild? He can take some evil and rebellion and turn it around and use it for his purpose. Remember Joseph? Joseph didn't do anything to go to prison for two years or be sold to the Egyptians for, from the Midianite traders. All of that happened without his okay. And yet, and yet, what could he say at the end of his life? At the end of, the, end of Genesis? He said this. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He turned it around. You expected evil to, to flourish, but God was able to use even that evil for his glory and honor. Hey, same thing in our life, you guys. God is not passive. He is actively working, even in rebellion. I have seen people in the last 20 years rebellious, and God is even using that for his glory and honor. He, he can. He will. Um, and the, here, the last thing. God has not abandoned his people. Israel has not called out to him. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to be rescued. But God is working for years now, from a little baby Samson to a toddler Samson to a middle school, to an elementary age Samson to a middle school Samson. God is preparing his judge to rescue his people, even though they don't want it. Hey, you want to, this tells me God has not abandoned his plan or his people. And you know what? God has not abandoned the church. I love, what's, I love what's happening at Faith Baptist. I love it. I love you guys. I love you being here. I love all, of, all the interactions and the things that are happening. God has not abandoned his church, although you look at the world and I would think he did or he should, but he hasn't. He's working vibrantly. And, and it's evidence right here. You guys, you guys should be so excited. You guys are in on part of God's plan for this age that is phenomenal. We are being trained with the gospel to go out and reach others so that they can be saved and then be trained so that they can reach others. 
And we're going to keep doing that until the day Jesus calls us home. It's awesome. You guys are part of God's eternal plan, and you should be rejoicing in it. You guys should be thrilled and happy that you, that you could be part of the church. It is a huge, huge blessing. All right, well, we're going to pick up next week in the morning where Samson, uh, he sees a woman, and then you know, what ha- you know what happens. He goes crazy. He sees a woman, and she happens to be an enemy, and he just goes crazy. So we're going to watch Samson unfold and see God working even in the midst of all of that for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Thank you that anyone here this evening, anyone, can place their faith in Jesus Christ. They must know that Jesus is God in human flesh and that he paid for our sin and we cannot do anything to earn it. We cannot be religious enough. It's not about going to church. It's not about anything we can do. It is 100% about Jesus, what he did for us. He died for us, paid our sin, and rose from the dead. And if anyone tonight believes in Jesus, thank you, Father, for giving them eternal life. But if anybody adds to what Jesus did, they add their own good works, they add their own religion, Father, you will not save them. They will suffer in a lake of fire for eternity. That is huge. Thank you for Jesus, who is everything. He is God. He is everything to us. Thank you for the book of Judges and for Samson, this man that you're going to raise up. And he does some things right, and and just he fails in a lot of ways. But thank you for being willing to use him and show grace upon grace. Wow, Father, I thank you for the church. Thank you that we can learn holiness through the heart and the character of Jesus found in the Word of God, and that we can apply truth to everyday modern life And we can please you. You can be delighted in our life because we're choosing to live separate from sin and separate from this world. So, Father, teach us. um, Teach us what it means to be a holy people set apart for you. Thank you for these lessons in Judges and particularly tonight in the man Samson. Father, be working in all of our families. Thank you for each family, and I pray that you will keep them and protect them this week. In Jesus' name, amen.